welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, well, each Sunday, I, I have an incredible privilege and honor uh, that I get to come up here and I get to herald the truth of the gospel, the truth of the good news, the truth of what our Lord Jesus Christ has already done on our behalf. Th- think, about, think about how amazing of an opportunity that is, right? To get to remind one another of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel, right? The, the news that you have been and are forgiven, all the time. No matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed, you have been and are remain forgiven. And and because of that, there's zero wrath, zero anger, zero disappointment from your father towards you. Not not one single condemnation, it says in Romans 8.1. And and the old you wasn't just cleaned up, right? It wasn't just cleaned up and and slapped a, a saint label on it. No, there's there's something fundamentally different. And this one's so important, that that Jesus included you and I with him on that cross. And so what happened to Jesus, as as Ian said, it wasn't just running out of that tomb to, to declare good news. You and I were crucified, and we were buried, and we were born again, running out of that tomb, but as a new creation, with a new heart, a new spirit, new desires. You're a new person. And that's just the beginning really is just the beginning because he's given you now his spirit. Your new spirit and his spirit have been joined to become one spirit. And the Bible talks about that being the temple of God. And so really, your spirit is the holy of holies. That's where God resides. That's where God lives. I mean, that's, that's crazy. You can think about that. Can you get any closer to God? No. Nor do you have to worry about drawing away from God because you're one with him. And nothing can separate you from him. Right? So that's, that's just the amazing part of that part of the truth. But there's more, because now, what is he doing inside of you? Now he empowers you to live this Christian life. He empowers you to carry out these new desires that you've been gifted and you've been, that you have in your heart. Good news indeed. Amen? So that's what I get to herald week after week. But, and there is a but, and that doesn't diminish that truth, but there's another side to it, and that is we don't live in paradise. We don't live in the Garden of Eden that that Adam and Eve were originally designed for. We don't live in heaven right now. Instead, we we live in a world that's cursed, a a world that is filled with sin and and with death, a world where hurt people hurt people, a world filled with disappointments, betrayal, rejection, and failure, a world where little children are sexually abused by the very people meant to protect them with love. A world where the person who pledged their love and devotion to you only betrays you with some adultery. Or a world where your business partner and closest friend decides that your friendship is only really worth a few thousand dollars as they decide to embezzle the funds out of the the joint business you have. Or a world where the slightest difference, the slightest imperfection is just picked on and targeted and you're bullied and you're teased and you're mocked just so that they could feel a little bit better about themselves as they tear you down. 
It's a world where shame is encouraged to punish people who might think differently than others. A world where power and money are sought after despite or ignoring the wreckage that it leaves behind in its wake. A world of war, famine, injustice, and corruption. A world where a loved one dies and we're left alone and missing them. Or maybe even worse, a world where a child dies, leaving the parents devastated. That's the world you and I live in today. It's a, it's a cruel and mean world. But the good news is we haven't been abandoned to this world alone. We don't have to face all these struggles. We don't have to face everything that's happening on our own. Instead, we've been given Jesus. And so you don't just have to grit your teeth and pretend everything's okay. Just put on a smile and and push through it. And just just try a little harder, keep pushing, keep going, and everything will work out in the end. And just just bury and ignore the not-so-pleasant things. You haven't just been given a Jesus to empower you through those trials, but you've been given a God who wants to comfort you in those trials. A God of all comfort. A God that truly and really understands. A God that will give us hope in hopeless times. A God that will hold us close and bring comfort in the midst of that suffering, healing in the midst of those hurts and disappointments, even when the mess and the struggle that we're in is a product of our own choosing. And so that's the, that's the message of the passage that we're going to look at this morning. And as you can see, it's a, it's a heavy passage. It's a because it matters, really matters to what each and every one of us are facing today. So let's read our passage together. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so you are also sharers of our comfort. Let's pray. Father, we are on some sacred ground this morning. Anytime we talk about pain and sorrow and difficulties and trials, it comes at such a cost. And we don't want to be a glib or trite or offer cliches to that kind of a pain because you don't. You are close to the brokenhearted. You are present in our sorrows. And you want to love us in those moments. So Father, if I'm honest, this message overwhelms me. How do I adequately express what you want to offer us in those difficult times? And so that just means i got to trust you even more. Trust you to speak through me. Trust to offer that comfort to each and every one of us, no matter where we are, no matter what struggle we're up against right now. I just pray, Lord Jesus, that we would see you as that God of all comfort. In your name we pray, amen. 
Well, when you study a passage, sometimes it's really helpful just to do a word count, right? Count to any repeating words that you see or any themes you see in that passage, because repetition matters. Repetition is a way to emphasize a point. Do I need to repeat myself on that one? All right, you got it. So if we do a quick word count, depending on your translation, it might be a little bit different, but it, you'll quickly see there are two major themes in this passage. The word affliction shows up three times. The word suffering, which is a different word from, from affliction, but is nonetheless related, it appears four times. Mercy only shows up one time, but it's related to the other word, comfort, which shows up 10 times. 10 times in these five verses, we see this word comfort over and over again. Clearly, we can see that Paul has in the forefront of his mind suffering and comfort as they relate to one another. Now, I said there's a slight difference between the words of affliction and suffering. And, and I think Paul used that, those two different words rather than just using the same word over again because it gives us a wider breadth, a wider understanding of the trials that he's talking about. So the, the word for affliction is thalipsis. And it literally means pressure or trials or, or tribulations. It could mean, it mean stress even. It's a, it's a general term. Paul uses this word in Romans 5, verse 3, when he talks about uh, exalting in the tribulations, the thalipsis that we're facing. And, and what's interesting about this is it's any stressful event, whether it's good or whether it's evil. Sometimes what we do is we, we limit these trials and tribulations only to when you're sharing your faith. You, you post something on social media, you, you share with a coworker, and, and they reject you for it, or people attack you for it, and they're attacking you for your faith. And that's how we often think about tribulations. But again, it's a general term. It's any kind of trial. It's any kind of suffering. But the other word, though, that's translated as sufferings, that's the word pathema, right? The root word of that is pathos, which, which means something's not right. Something, there's, there's a hardship. There's something twisted, like a, thick, like a sickness. Think about the word pathogen, right? A pathogen is a virus of sorts. And, and that's this same word here. And so when he's talking about the suffering, he's talking about something that isn't right, something that doesn't belong, something that is, is sick and twisted. And so I think together he gives us a wider picture of, of life and why we need comfort, whether it's this stress or this pressure or whether there's something that's not right in this world that we're facing. And so we, we talked briefly about some of the sources of our pain, but if we kind of uh, break that up, you'd have the, the sinful choices of our, ourselves or the moral choices that, uh, or immoral choices that we've made, or maybe the sinful choices of others against us, or simply just living in a world of sin and death, losing a loved one. Because keep in mind, we weren't made for death. We are made for life. And so whenever we see death in this world, it's a reminder that this world is not the way it ought to be. It's not what God designed. Those, those are the pathemas of life. Those are things that are, are twisted and, and bent, not right in this world. But sorrow can come from other things that aren't really bad or evil. There just are. For example, the, the disappointments when, when things don't go the way you hoped for. That may arise from a misunderstanding or a miscommunication, particularly between a husband and a wife or a friend to a friend, where they end up not understanding where the other person's coming from, and so hurtful words are said or heard. Sometimes it's the sorrow and sufferings that come from even the things that we want. For example, being married. I, I was so excited to marry my bride, and I still am, but that doesn't mean that there's not trials. That means it's difficult. 
I mean, think about it. She's living with me. That's a lot of pressure on her. And then, then there's having children. We wanted children. We want every one of those, chi- those children. We still want those children. Right here. <laughs> Dang it. But they're hard. It's hard. It's a good hard, but it's still hard. It's still difficult at times. Or, or maybe you get your dream job. Even your dream job is going to come with difficulties and trials at times, even in the best of times. And so there's, there's just stress in life. There's pressure in life. And the question is, what are we going to do with that stress? What are we going to do with that pain? What are we going to do with that sorrow that we're experiencing? And the reality is there, there are plenty of unhealthy ways. Now, the definition of an unhealthy way essentially is this. It's you trying to medicate or you trying to comfort yourself on your own. And that can look like a bunch of different things. It might, maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's TV and books and entertainment and, and Netflix and all the other streaming channels. Or maybe it's social media with the endless scroll. You just keep scrolling and scrolling or, or watching reels and videos on TikTok and Instagram and so forth. Or, or even YouTube where they can drag you down that rabbit hole and you'll come back six hours later. Then there's things like sex and pornography or, or chatting and flirting online with strangers. Maybe it's your hobbies. Maybe it's, it's video games or, or maybe even it's your job where you just try to escape working long hours. Maybe it's food, chocolate and ice cream and sweets and junk food. Or maybe it's even just separating from everyone, isolating yourself, just just hiding under the covers in your bed, not wanting to come out. Or maybe you're thinking, if I just leave that relationship, then all my problems will be left behind as well. See, the problem with this, this kind of comfort is, and the reality is this kind of comfort does provide a little bit of comfort in the moment. Please understand that. Just as, as, as uh, the writer of Hebrews, I was going to say it's Paul, because it is, but we don't know. For sure. So the writer of Hebrews writes in chapter 11, verse 6, he talks about, about um, uh, it's not 6, it's 6-ish, right? Somewhere in the Bible, where he talks about the Moses, he, he, he did not accept the, the pleasures of sin. Sin feels good. If sin doesn't feel good, you're only going to do it once. But because it feels good in the moment, we go back to it again and again and again. And so that's the thing with the comfort that we, we seek on our own. It provides a, a little bit of comfort. Think about eating that chocolate bar or that ice cream bar or, or, or just going on, on online and social media and just the endless scroll. It, it's a bit of an escape in that moment. And it feels OK in that moment. The problem is, at best, it's hollow. At best, it leaves you feeling like you missed out on something, and you just don't feel great. At worst, you chose something sinful. You chose something wrong, and now you're filled with guilt. You're filled with shame. You're filled with self-condemnation or self-hatred, and you're actually worse off than you were before. See, it's that cycle of like taking drugs, right? You take drugs, and you, you feel good, and you feel high, and then afterwards, the high wears off, and now you feel low again. So you have to get high just to get back to where you were before, only it leaves you feeling lower than you were before. And that's, that's sin. That's, that's the flesh. That's us trying to comfort ourselves on our own. 
The good news is we don't have to. There's, there's a real comfort that's being offered to you and I. So let's look at verse 3 again. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Like everything we need in this world, there's one source, and that one source is God. He's all that we need, including all the comfort that we need. But I want to draw your attention to that phrase, Father of mercies. It'd be easy to skip past that phrase, but it's, it's packed with meaning and significance. The, the word for, for mercies there is octermos. And octermos is, is it's, it's mercy, but it's also compassion and understanding. <clears throat> and I think about that. What a gift it is to be understood. You remember who Helen Keller was? I don't know if they're still teaching about Helen Keller in school anymore, but Helen Keller, she was born blind, deaf, and mute. And they all assumed dumb. They, they just assumed she was an idiot and that she had no hope for it. Everyone except for one person, Ann Sullivan, her teacher. And so Ann Sullivan, she actually taught her to read sign language with her hands. So she would be signing while Helen Keller put her hands over top of Ann, and she could then discern and, and figure out what Ann was communicating, and then she could do it back. Can you, can you imagine the moment for Helen Keller when she was able to share something, when she was able to communicate something, and Ann understood her? For the first time in her whole life, someone knew what was going on in her mind. Someone knew that she had thoughts and she had feelings and she had desires and dreams even. Someone understood her. Can you imagine the joy that she would have felt? It's a gift to be understood. And I think at times, we all have that desire to be understood in our pain, to understand why it hurts so much. And, and the reality is, it really is inadequate. And, and it, it, it's so um, impossible to, to properly convey what you and I are feeling in those moments. And so at times, we might feel we might as well be deaf and mute and dumb, because no one, no one really gets it. No one except one person. That's our Heavenly Father, the Father of mercy. David writes in, in Psalm 139, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Do you realize God understands you better than you understand yourself? Literally what this, this passage is saying is, is he's dug deep. He went, below, he went much deeper than just the surface. He much, went deeper than just below the surface and deeper and deeper and deeper to the very core, to parts of you that you've never seen before or understood. He's dug that deep, and he gets you. He understands your thoughts. He understands your struggles. He understands the despair and the hurt and the loneliness. He gets it because he gets you. Or in another psalm, in, uh, in Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14, and this is such a great verse, just as the father has compassion on his children, as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He's mindful we are but dust. 
No, Jeremy. It's not but T, double T does. It's just you're simply dust. I love that verse. It sounds so odd, right? Like, oh, yeah, great. You're, you're a bunch of dust. Don't forget that. Let's close in prayer. Let's go home now. Isn't that encouraging? But it really is. And here's why it's encouraging, because God says, I know you're not me. You're not little gods. You, you, you don't have it all together, and that's okay. You're not supposed to. He understands that you and I are frail, and we're fragile, and we're easily offended. We're easily hurt. We're sensitive and sometimes overly sensitive. You have the freedom to be human. What a gift that is. You don't have to be a little God. You get to just be you. And he understands that. And not from afar. He understands it up close. Because if you remember, the prophet Isaiah said in, in chapter 53, verse 3, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, like one whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Jesus knows what it's like to be human because he was human. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to, to grieve and have sorrows and have sadness. In fact, he was well acquainted with those. So he gets it. And because he gets it, because he understands it, he now gets to offer you and I compassion, gets to offer us comfort. Let's understand that word comfort. It's, it's really the product of two words. The first part, come, is really to come alongside, to, to, to partner with. And then the word fort is from the word forte, which means strength. And so really, what does the word comfort mean? It means to come alongside and strengthen. What a, what a great word that is. What a powerful word it is. The, the, the Greek word here for comfort is perikalesis. You might recognize that word for some of you for parakletos, which is the Holy Spirit being the comforter. So, I mean, it's his name. It's his title. It's what he does. As the comforter, he comforts us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside, and he strengthens us. Psalm 34, 17, 18 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord hears. Isn't that a good word? When you cry out... <coughs> Maybe even in your own spirit and soul, the Lord hears that and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed or broken in spirit. Even when you're hopeless, he's right there. That's the heart of our God. That's the heart of our Father. Now, Paul goes on in this passage now, and he's going to tell us more about this comfort, because some of us might think, well, wouldn't it have been better if he just didn't suffer in the first place? Wouldn't it have been better if that disappointment didn't happen? Wouldn't it have been better if, if that, that pressure, that stressful situation wasn't there in the first place? But there's a reason for all this. And he says in verse 4 that God, who comforts us in all our affliction <clears throat> so that we will be able that word that we will be able is, is dynamite. It's where we get the word dynamite from. It's this power. It's really the Holy Spirit dynamite, Holy Spirit empowerment, so that we will be able, we will be empowered to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
See, the reality is you and I, we can only help or offer others what God has done in us previously, what God's done in us first. So what does that mean? If, if you don't know the love of God, how do you share the love of God with someone else? And if you don't know his comfort, you won't be able to comfort other people. And so the things that we endure, the things that we go through, they enable us and they prepare us now to love and support other people. I've told you about my sister, Nicole. She might be actually watching right now. Hi, Nicole. My sister, Nicole, was born mentally handicapped her whole life. Uh, you know, she's been through many surgeries. The doctor said that she was, she was going to never make it to one month, to one year, to 12, to 20. And she loves proving the doctors wrong. She really does. She's the only stubborn one in my family, I think. <laughs> really, I think. Yeah, yeah. I guess, I guess there's others. It was, it was hard, though, to deal with a handicapped child in the home. I mean, it's hard to communicate. I, I remember at one point, I was, I was the translator. You know, my dad would look at me when my sister would say something, and he would look at me, and he'd be like, I don't know what tongue that was. And I, I understood. I, I, I got my sister, and so I would interpret. And I would say, well, she's saying this. And, and I was very much a protector because I was close in age to her. She still means so much to me. And some people said, well, do you, you kind of wish that she wasn't born that way? Do you wish she was, quote, unquote, normal? And there are parts of that, for sure, that I, I look forward to when I get to heaven. I get to really get to know her with no impediment, no, no barrier anymore. But on the same side, you know, I don't know if I would change it now. I can honestly say from the bottom of my heart that Nicole is the greatest blessing and the greatest gift they could ever give my family. Because through Nicole, we learn so much. We learn the joy of simple things. We learn patience. We learn love. We learn what really matters. We learn what it means to protect people. And, and who I am today and how I love people today has largely been shaped by my sister, Nicole. And so when I'm counseling people or I'm working with people or, or even my own family, even Joy's notices that the patience that I show is really the product of what I learned with my sister, Nicole. And so I now have something to offer other people who are going through difficult times because of the comfort that I first received from my Heavenly Father. And so what a gift it is to be able now to, to offer someone else, because you've been there. You've understood that hurt. You've understood that sorrow. You've understood that pain. And now you can love others going through something similar. Even with, with my own personal struggle with shame and feeling rejection. Now I can, I can understand when people are struggling in, in the counseling room and, and when they don't just get it and it's difficult and it's hard to really, can I really trust that all this is true and good, that I really am a new person and I'm not that, that old person that feels that shame and rejection. Because of my own struggles with that, I can, I can help walk with them there. I don't offer them a, a, a harsh answer. I don't offer them a, a cliche or a trite or answer. Just, you know, just keep, keep, keep going. I, I can love on them because that's what our Father does with us. 
fact, this is, this is such an important point that, that the sufferings we go through are to receive comfort so that we can comfort others in this suffering, that Paul goes and repeats it again in verses 5 and 6. He says again, for just as our sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And notice that the sufferings is plural. There are many sufferings that you and I face, but the comfort is singular. It's because the comfort is in the moment. The comfort is right now. It's not about last week. It's not about next week. It's about Father offering that comfort right now. And it's abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort in salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which is effective in the patient enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. You know, we, we live in a world, in this Western world, where, where we believe that knowledge qualifies. We believe that, that what matters is the letters that someone has after their name, where they went to school or, or how they were trained and what they were trained in, and that's what matters in our mindset and our world. But you know what? Given the choice between doing a, a surgery with a doctor who just graduated with 100% average but never did one surgery, or the guy who's done it for 30 years over and over again, give me the guy who's done it for 30 years. I don't care what school he went to. I don't care what he's, what he's learned. All I care about is he's proven. And, and so what we offer people is, is not our, our knowledge. Because think about it, in that moment, they don't care. They want to they know that comfort. They want to know that love. And so what really qualifies you and I is the things that we've been through. And notice, it's whether, whether we've been through affliction, it's for your comfort and salvation. And the word salvation there isn't talking about going to heaven one day. It's the word that means to be made whole. So if we're suffering, it's for your comfort and your salvation. But if we're being comforted, it's also for your comfort. See, as all the great things about God is when he gives you a gift, it doesn't end with you. Right? When he, when he offered you and I life, it wasn't just to end and stop with you. He gives you life so you can offer that life to others. He gives you love so you can offer that love to others. He gives you hope so you can offer that hope to others. And he offers you comfort. So praise God, we can offer that comfort to others. And this is the power of God's comfort. I love what it says at the end of verse 6, that it's effective in the patient enduring of the same, suffers, same sufferings which we also suffer. The word there for, for patient enduring in Romans 5 is translated as perseverance. Literally, it means the ability to stand up under a trial. It's not to avoid the trial. It's not to escape the trial. It's not even to overcome the trial, although all of those are good. But you know what's even more powerful? The ability to stand up under the trial, for it not to break you, to not destroy you. And it's this kind of resilience and this kind of, of perseverance that's so important. Because as Job says in chapter 5, 7, man is guaranteed to suffer. It's going to come. Jesus even says it in John 14 that you will have tribulations in this world because this world is not right. This world is filled 
with this pathmos. But we don't have to be overrun by them. We don't have to be overcome by them because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit comes and comforts us so that we will persevere. That comfort allows us to stand up under that trial. And here's what's so good in verse 7. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our... As you're sharers of our sufferings, so you're also sharers of our comfort. First off, he says, you're not alone. Isn't that a good word? You're not alone. Father's with you, but so is the church. You're suffering, we're suffering, we're all in this together. You're not getting singled out. You're not getting picked on. We're all in this together. But again, that you get to be sharers of our comfort. But he says, our hope here is firmly grounded. It's, it's, not a, it's not a wishful hope, right? It's, it's not like, I hope the Leafs will win the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> I hope so, but I'm not so sure, right? I, I'm willing to bet John's money, but not maybe my own, right? That's not this kind of hope. This is, this is the hope that's guaranteed. This is a hope that we look forward to knowing that it's going to happen. For example, I hope that Jesus will return one day. That's not a he might, he might not. That's no, he's coming. And we look forward to that day with hope, with expectation. That's this kind of hope. And, and that's the kind of thinking that, that Paul has. And I, I want to I share a parallel passage to all this because I think it, it summarizes it in a, in a different way, but in yet in a powerful way. It, it, we've mentioned it briefly, but in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, Paul writes this, that not only this, but we exalt, we glory, we celebrate in our tribulations. Sounds odd. But that's not a mistranslation. That's, that's true. You and I can, can glory in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's the patient enduring. That's the ability to stand up under the trial. It strengthens you. Knowing that that perseverance brings about proven character. Meaning that, that now I know people are trustworthy because of what they've been through. I know that when I'm struggling, I could go talk to Josh because I know what Josh has been through. And I know what he struggled with. And I know what he has to offer is valuable because he's been tested He's been proven to be the man of God that he is. So it brings about proven character and proven character hope. So when I know when I'm struggling, I can go talk to my brother Josh, and I know what I'm going to get from him. I know I'm going to get that encouragement, that reminder of Jesus is in me and that comfort that God wants to give me through Josh. And so he's trustworthy. And hope does not disappoint. Hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts, the Holy Spirit who is given to us. All of this is predicated on the simple truth, the powerful truth. God loves you. Right now and for all time. With a perfect love that endures and never changes. Doesn't go up, doesn't go down, because it's perfect. He loves you. In fact, he goes on in this passage, and in verse 9, talks about how there's no longer any wrath. And it's all connected because what he's saying is, it's just so you know this tribulation, why do you glory in it? Because God's not punishing you. God's not out to get you. 
No, that was all taken care of on the cross. God loves you. He's going to love you through the trial, through the tribulation. And you and I will experience God. Because again, if, if you want to know Jesus, well, he's a man acquainted with sorrows, a man acquainted with grief. What can we expect to experience? Sorrows and grief. So that we could be comforted and offer that comfort to others. That's the heart of our Father. And that's the heart of Father wants to be in you. Well, when, when I thought about how do, I, how do I illustrate this God of all comfort, this Father of mercies, I remembered um, back in 1992, the Barcelona Olympics. I, I didn't watch this one live. At least I don't remember watching it live. I, I probably watched it, you know, Olympicolic and all. But, um, but I, I've seen this clip of, of a British runner called Derek Redman. He ran the 400-meter the sprint. And uh, he's, he's in one of these heats here, and he's you know, trained his whole life. And he's, you know, they're expecting great things from him. He's you know, a contender for a medal. And you know, spoiler alert, uh, you've had 30 years. So it's your own fault if you don't know about this, right? <laughs> but spoiler alert, it doesn't go well for him. He gets hurt. But it's, I want you to watch, in particular, I want you to watch what his father does when his father comes to his aid. So let's go ahead and watch the video. Jimmy reacted like any father would. 
seeing their son go through that moment of Olympic tragedy, what was your plan? Well, whatever happened, he had to finish, and I was there to help him finish. I intended to go over the line with him. We started uh, this career together. I think we should finish it together. So he tore his hamstring. Can we imagine the pain he's in? But he's, he's trained his whole life for this moment. He wants to finish the race, doesn't want that DNF on him. I love how the father bursts onto that track field and they're like, oh, sir, you can't do this. You just watch me. You try to get in my way. And he comes and he's carrying his son. And again, sir, you, you can't do this. And you see the anger even. Get out. Nothing will stop me from comforting my son. Nothing. As he said, you know, we, we started this race together. We're going to finish this together. And that's what your father offers you. That's what he's wanting to be. And that's what he's wanting to do. Let's do this together. Let's, let me offer that strength and that support you need. And I loved even the cheering of the crowd. It makes me think about the church as we're cheering and watching God work. So when you find yourself in, in that spot in needing of comfort, Turn to Father. And, and it's really, it's a simple question. God, I'm, I'm hurting. God, I'm struggling. And I need you right now. How do you want to comfort me? How do you want to help me? How do you want to support me? Just ask him. Let him speak to you. And what, whatever comes to your mind, trust that was him. There are, there's all kinds of examples. Maybe it means go for a quiet walk. Maybe it means find a, a quiet place in your home and pray. Maybe go for a drive and pray. And just pour your heart out to him. Yes, he knows about it, but he still wants to hear it because you matter to him. He wants you to share it. He wants you to talk about it with him. Maybe, maybe it's eat some food, some good food, healthy food. Maybe it's get some sleep. I often think about Elijah, right? He has this incredible Mount Carmel experience, rains down fire from the heavens. They, they kill the prophets of Baal. Israel seems to be repenting. Everything's going great. And then he freaks out and he panics because Jezebel wants to kill him. So he runs and runs and runs because he's afraid. And now he's depressed and he's anxious and he's nervous. He's terrified. He's overwhelmed. And God sends an angel to him. And what does the angel do? Come on. Come on, you know better, Elijah. Is that what it does? No. Doesn't say a word. Gives him food, puts him to sleep. He wakes up, gives him more food, puts him to sleep. Wakes up, gives him more food, puts him to sleep. Sometimes that's what we need. Eat and sleep, eat and sleep, eat and sleep. I don't know. What does father want to do? He knows. Maybe it's listen to some music. Maybe it's, maybe it's call up a friend and, and, and meet with that friend and share what you're, what you're struggling with. Or maybe it's just that friend will just laugh with you or just be quiet even with you. Maybe it's read a book or watch a movie. I, I don't know what it is that he's going to tell you to do in that moment because I want you to see the possibilities are limitless. He's the God of all comfort, and he can provide that comfort in many different ways. All that's key, all that's critical is that we return to him. We'd allow him to comfort us. 
Now, as I close, I want to, I want to give a quick word of counsel to you who want to offer comfort to other people. Sometimes the best comfort doesn't include words. Remember Job's friends? Job's going through the worst imaginable crisis you can come up with. Lost his, his kids. He, he lost you know, the, the business and the property and the cattle. He lost everything except for a nagging wife. Right? That's the, the one thing he could have done without it. But, but he's, he's miserable. And then, then he even loses his health. I didn't say his wife. I said a nagging wife. Come on, guys. Does anyone really want a nagging spouse? No. No, thank you. <laughs> Overly sensitive people. All right, so, so they come to him, these three friends, and for one week, they're the greatest friends because they don't say a word. They just sit with him. What a gift that was. And then when the week was up, now they, now they start talking. All right, Job. Clearly, you're suffering. Clearly, you've done something. What's her name? Who did you cheat? When did you lie? Where's the money really coming from? Is there country music there? Like, what's, what's really going on here, Job? They began to accuse him. And they blew it. So much so that God rebuked them at the end. So sometimes the best comfort doesn't involve words. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it just means sitting with them. Remember what Paul writes in Romans. He says, weep with those who weep. Sometimes just cry with them. I have a friend of mine who I have great respect and trust in, and he's got a plaque that his wife gifted to him. And it says, the grace of God sat down with me until I was ready to walk again. The grace of God sat down with me until I was ready to walk again. That's the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And that's what we get to do now with others. That the same way that God sat down with me, I can sit down with others. And it's OK that they struggle. You've got permission to struggle. It's a great line from a 10th Avenue North song that I've always loved. You are free to struggle, but you're not struggling to be free. God's already set us free, but it's okay to struggle. It's okay to be where you're at. Because I don't need you to have it all together in order to love you. I can love you right where you're at. Because God has loved me right where I'm at. There was a, I remember the time when a friend of mine, he, he publicly shared his, his own pain and sorrow. People had known about it because it's been 20 years since that happened. But, but it was the first time that he was sharing it publicly about how uh, there was a, his wife left him and divorced him. And what that meant because he was in ministry was he suddenly was disqualified. So he's hurt by his wife. He's hurt by his church. He's hurt by, abandoned by his friends. He's left alone. I remember him sharing. He would walk through the woods and he would look at a tree and he thought, do you love me? Because he felt so unloved and unlovable. So he's sharing this time, and he's sharing how he met God, the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, and how God loved him. And he shared the powerful. At the end, you could hear a pin drop in the room. And so people start you know, running up to my friend, and they start asking him and thanking him for what he shared, asking him more about this, the experience. And I remember looking around the room, and I, just, I saw one person sitting on that chair, kind of slouched like Maria right now, and just, sorry. And weeping. 
just weeping. And I, 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 I just knew I had to go sit beside her. And I just sat beside her and I, I put my hand on her back. I, I don't know who she was. I don't know who she is today even. I just put my hand on her back. And I just let her cry. And then when she was done, I said, what, what's going on? And she said, you know, that's my story. And then I gave her a hug, and I said, is there anything I can do to help? And she says, no, that's it. That hug was enough. Thank you for just sitting beside me. It wasn't, wasn't hard. It would have been hard if I tried to fix it. Don't cry. It's OK. God loves you. It's, it's all right. Yeah, God loves you, so let her cry. Weep with those who weep. Offer them comfort. What a gift it is to offer that to people. Let's pray. Father God, Father of mercies, God of all comfort. Oh, those are powerful titles you have. Titles that you've proven to be true. Each and every one of us has experienced it. And each and every one of us will have to experience it again and again and again. But as we sang this morning, we've, we found a surgeon, we found a friend. So we run to you again and again and again and again. And then we get to allow you to offer that same comfort to others. To a very hurting world. Thank you for allowing us to experience that comfort and be a part of the redemption you're offering. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.